it is day 22 of 100 and we press on with excerpts from my Enneagram Introductions workshop. And today, this is the, the part of um, what's usually my first session when we get into just logistics, just basic terms and concepts that we will build everything else on as we move forward and explore all of the types in further detail. So let's get started. So we will get to um, a very brief look at these nine types, but we're actually not going to start with nine. We're going to start with three, the three triads or the three centers, because they're based on what we call centers of intelligence. And this is one way to group the nine types into subgroups of three. And there are numerous, maybe countless ways to um, to break this down into groups of three, but the most basic one and the one we start with is what we call triads or centers of intelligence. Now, in our culture, we tend to think of intelligence as living in the head or the brain, and that is one form of intelligence. And of course, we know now more and more, you know, everything is, is interconnected. But the Enneagram is based on these three general types of intelligence, the gut or the body intelligence, the heart or the feeling intelligence, and the head or the thinking intelligence. And we're all using all three, of course, but what happens in our patterning is that um, one of these centers becomes our preferred or our dominant center. That means we're using this intelligence um, to take in information. That way of seeing that we've been talking about is really a way of taking in information. And some of us are doing that first through the head or first through the heart or first through the gut or kind of instinctual uh, body sensory knowing. And this is how that breaks down. Types 8, 9, and 1 are in the gut or the body triad. Types 2, 3, and 4 are in the heart or the feeling triad, and types five, six, and seven are in the head or the thinking triad. So it's not just that uh, types two, three, and four are best with the heart or feeling intelligence, uh, and the same for five, sixes, and sevens with the head, etc. Um, it, it, it means that our most significant gifts and our most significant challenges are found kind of in that realm. And and what we do is we, we take in information through this dominant center and then we support that with a second center of intelligence. And generally there's a third that we don't use as much or it's um, repressed or not fully utilized in some way. That's for further down the road. But what we start with is these three centers of intelligence and which is dominant for each of the nine types. And we get these three groupings from that. And what's really cool is that this has been in Enneagram wisdom and teaching for, for a long time, but what we're learning now as we, um, as the field of neuroscience grows and more and more of that gets applied to, to other models like the Enneagram, we, we know that we are actually, as humans, really three-brained beings, uh, we say sometimes, that literally there are almost as many neurons surrounding the heart and in the gut as there are in the brain. So these 
these are, um, are quite literally intelligences that are communicating with one another and, and making us who we are. We've established these three general um, groupings as a starting point, and now let's go briefly through uh, the nine types that we find in those three groups. And we'll start with type eight, which might feel strange to some of you, but we're we're starting with that gut triad, and the first number in that triad is eight, and then we'll go forward from there. So these are very, very brief descriptions just to, to give a, a hint of what we're talking about. And then, of course, we'll expand going forward. And um, most of this description I have to um, credit the narrative Enneagram with. These are uh, brief descriptions, not the name always, but the, the actual description is largely from, from their work. So the narrative Enneagram, EnneagramWorldwide.com, that's where a lot of this is coming from. Type 8s, uh, the active controller, we might call them, uh, sometimes the protector, I like that one, believes that you must be strong and powerful to assure protection and regard in a tough world. So consequently, they seek justice and are direct, strong, and action-oriented. But also, they can be overly impactful, excessive, and sometimes impulsive. Type 9, we might call the adaptive peacemaker, and they believe that to be loved and valued, you must blend in and go along to get along. Consequently, they seek harmony and are comfortable and steady, but they can also be self-forgetting, conflict avoidant, and sometimes stubborn. Type ones, we might call the strict perfectionist or the reformer or the improver. And they believe that you must be good and right to be worthy. So consequently, they are conscientious, responsible, improvement-oriented, and self-controlled, but they can also be critical, resentful, and self-judging. Type two, now we're moving into the heart triad with uh, types two, three, and four. These are people leading with that heart or feeling intelligence. And type two, the considerate helper believes you must give fully to others to be loved. And consequently, they are caring, helpful, supportive, and relationship-oriented but also can be prideful, overly intrusive, and demanding. Type three, the competitive achiever or the performer believes that you must accomplish and succeed to be loved. Consequently, they are industrious, fast-paced, and focused on goals and efficiency. They can be inattentive to feelings, impatient, and image-driven. And type four, the intense creative believes you must obtain the ideal relationship or situation to be loved. Consequently, they are idealistic and deep-feeling, empathetic, and authentic, but can also be dramatic, moody, and sometimes self-absorbed. And then finally, we move into the head or the thinking center. And type 5, the quiet specialist or the observer, believes that you must protect yourself from a world that demands too much and gives too little to assure life. So consequently, they seek self-sufficiency and are non-demanding, analytic, thoughtful, and unobtrusive, but can also be withholding, detached, and overly private. Type six, the loyal skeptic, believes that you must gain certainty in a hazardous world that you can't trust. So consequently, they are themselves trustworthy, inquisitive, good friends, and questioning, but can also be overly doubtful, accusatory, or fearful. 
And then finally, type seven, the enthusiastic visionary believes you must keep life up and open to assure uh, an enjoyable life. So consequently, they seek possibilities and pleasure and are optimistic and upbeat and adventurous, but they also avoid pain and can be uncommitted or self-serving in that dynamic. So these are very partial introductions to the types, but just to, to have a brief, um, a brief look on record, that will do for now. And I just want to cover one more thing before we break for the day, and that is um, just to remind us that there is this one core type that tends to solidify that, and that doesn't change over time, but there's a lot of dynamic movement built into that. This is a fluid uh, system, and um, as your core type, you are directly connected to four other numbers at any given time, and so uh, we call those wing numbers and resource points. So the wing numbers are the numbers that are adjacent to yours. Only those two numbers. So you, you can't be like a two with a six wing. That doesn't work. As a, as a two, you would be able to have a three wing or a one wing. Those are the numbers on either side of, of yours. And the wings just kind of further color or characterize the, the nuance of our personality. Uh, if you think of it in terms of color, like if I as a four... If if the color is blue, then you know a, a four with a five wing, it might be a little bit darker, warmer hue of blue, and a four with a three wing might be a little cooler, more vibrant blue. That's just an illustration to show it's not it's not changing the motivation. It's it's just adding some nuance to how we experience the world or how our type presents. Generally, people have one wing that's stronger than the other, and then maybe later in life will develop the other, and then that helps kind of with a, a way of balance to have access to what both of those wings can offer us. Um, different skills, different traits, uh, different behaviors that, that can help us. Uh, but some people don't really see the influence of the wings, and some people uh, can see kind of both, but generally we have one that is stronger than the other. And then finally, we are each connected to two resource points. So there's there's some number that we uh, we could say move to or we take on some of their energy or traits or behaviors um, in stress or in security. And um, we recently did a series in the 100 days on that. And so I invite you to go backwards if you're just um, tuning in now or want a deeper look at that. But, you know, I teach that we get something we need from both of those moves, uh, that both of those moves can be positive. We just have to know kind of what we're, what we're looking for and what's available to us and how to intentionally access that in a way that is more helpful than hurtful. And again, we've, we've done a, a whole series on that. So I will, um, I will break for the day on these basics and I will be back tomorrow with a more in-depth look at the gut center of intelligence or the body center of intelligence. And I hope you'll tune in then.